previously on Something Who. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed to make Something Who. Hello, I'm Richard, and after a run of special episodes, we're back with Something Who podcast where we discuss a couple of Doctor Who stories that are capitalist allegories. First, we'll look at fourth Doctor story, The Sunmakers, from season 15, and after that, we'll examine 12th Doctor outing Oxygen from series 10. And with me to decide whether these stories generate a profit from the investment of viewing or a just plain taxing, we're back <laughs> to our original lineup. Plum, you're on fire. <laughs> Let's start with writer, raconteur, and missing episodes expert Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello. Good evening. I understand you're fresh from tre- treading the boards. Well, I've just been treading the boards, and that, that's why I'm not very fresh. I'm absolutely exhausted. Next up, it's science and astronomy writer Giles. Hello. Hi there. And you've recently been hobnobbing with the greats in Oxford. Uh, yes, yeah. I did a talk where I was lucky enough to be introduced by the Astronomer Royal, no less. Um, yes, and we sat down and had a chat about an 18th century star atlas. And uh, so that was fun. Excellent. And back with us again... It's the voice of reason from something who it's Simon. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for inviting me back, Richard. And nice to be with you again, guys. Okay. I guess before we do run out of of steam or juice or whatever it is that we're we're, we're short of, we should probably get into the first of our stories, which is The Sunmakers, which was written by Robert Holmes and directed by Pennant Roberts. Mm -hmm. And I will start the proceedings by saying... Unusually for me, I don't remember this story from its original run. So so I'm not going to say to you, I haven't seen this since its original broadcast, because I didn't see it on its original broadcast either. Oh, are we? Are we? Have we said everything we've got to say about this now? Oh yes, we bottomed it out. I think the, the only other two things, minor points that I was going to make, which they're just snippets of like Bob Holmes taking an interesting approach to things. I love that control room when they go when they go to the steaming control room and they start with the you know the, they're watching the reward announcements about the you know gather aid making the mm. announcement about the reward for the doctor and then they and then the guys are watching it turn around and. Uh, yeah, and find they're being held at gunpoint by the by the rebels. It's and that's a nice little touch. And yeah. I also like I like the use of what well, if you put it on t- well, yeah, although it's not really terribly well set up, but if there was more that they were reliant on what they saw on screens throughout. But I do like the sort of the revolution will be televised aspect right. of the day new in episode four that if we if we if we make the announcement on screen, then mm. it will come to pass. Um but Probably, yeah. As I said, might have been nice if that was a bit more set up. That it was a mm. that it was a society that is yep. geared towards that sort of thing. We don't really see much of the daily life of yeah the working class. Well, there you go. Of Pluto, do we? We see the we see the fairly mm-hmm. uninteresting rebels. Yeah, we see Bishop who's already in trouble and Gondo who's already in trouble. Mm. Yeah. If you combine this with Vengeance on Varus, you've got a, a winner because there you've got yeah. Mm. Yeah. A good, a better explored civilization, but most of the story is about abstract horror. Mm. It's a great I, I just, just remembered something I discussed with Richard before we started recording. So, where does the idea of a society, dystopian society, which is kept in check by the chemical suppressants in the air and/or water, although in this case it's in the air, where does that come from? Is it from a particular science fiction film or novel, or what? It doesn't come from here, right? Obviously, no, no. I was, I was going to, I was going to say, I can feel it coming in the air tonight, but that's a few years away. <laughs> <laughs> we know Bob didn't invent anything. Is there a famous? Nobody knows. It's obviously not that famous. Then there's no big famous science fiction film there, um, has there? Or, or great novel. I was thinking it might be Brave New World, but it isn't. I checked. Isn't it's well, not that at all? Uh, well, that's, a, that's a society where people willingly take. Um, yeah, exactly. drugs to, that, pa- to pacify them yes yeah that's what but I was this is 
But I'm sure mm. it's a thing, though, isn't it? It's a thing about societies where they there's something mm. in the, and even if it wasn't before the sunmakers, it, ha- it has been afterwards. Mm. So the the, the the you know the plot point where you have to turn off that turn off that supply and suddenly people wake up, mm. shed off their shed their docility and revolt. Although having said that, maybe I'm thinking of Blake Seven. Doesn't aren't the first few episodes of Blake Seven about a society exactly the same setup? Or did I dream mm. that? Blake is on drugs, isn't he, or doesn't he? Is, they no, do that. They do that later in the in the fourth series where you got Avon trying to stir up a galactic rebellion. The Federation has started suppressing planets like that by using gas and, and right. um, okay, so it's later, adding it? drugs. So a lot a lot later on. But I suppose it's possible I mean, that, that Chris did it, Boucher did got it, ha- it from the Sunbakers, but <laughs> I just thought they both got it from somewhere else. More I'm racking uh. my brains, Paul, because it is a bit of a familiar trope. I mean, there's also did that happen in that science fiction classic, the Macra Terror? <laughs> did, did they did they use anything the similar there? Was it macro they... gas that they? Oh yes. God, we sound like Are a they... bunch of idiots, don't we? Of course Are it is. <laughs> I don't know. And but the Macra Terror can't have been They're all taking THX eleven thirty eight. Right. They all have to take emotion suppressing drugs. I don't think it's in the air, but they. Right. No, you, you've you've hit you've hit a nail on the head there, Simon. It is indeed a macro terror that where where they where they where they the giant crowds produce the gas that's, that pacifies the populace. I don't believe that Ian Stewart Black is a science fiction colossus and pioneer any more than I do Bob. <laughs> they must have both got it from somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I, I guess all we're saying is we're pushing it from seventy-seven to sixty-six anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, great. We're well, going back a decade at a time. Yeah, who knows where we end up? <laughs> right, as before. Our uh, listener, write in, please, as Terry Wogan would say. Yes, and yeah, please. Uh... So we move on to Oxygen, which was written by Jamie Matheson mm-hmm. and directed by Charles Palmer. It's it's Jamie Matheson's last story thus far in in the series, having written quite a number. I do remember this this one quite well. It went out in May 2017. And I have only watched it the you know the once on transmission and the once this week on on review. And I guess I'd be interested to to see what you thought the first time round. It had the benefit that you don't know what the punchline is when you kind of know what the punchline is. It, it doesn't have that either. That's funny, isn't it? Because mm. I kind of thought it was pretty obvious watching it this time. So presume I can't remember what I thought the first time. Whether it was I, it was obvious where it was going, but as you say, it's seems even at its short length to be spinning its wheels getting there uh, no uh, that's sounds really unfair i really enjoyed it but it doesn't seem like a massive twist with hindsight i know nothing could be a twist without with hindsight come on <laughs> good point stop shouting mm. through your headphones at me Simon, what do you make of uh, oxygen well i it almost completely escaped me the first time right i watched it because i was in a i was in a rut about peter capaldi Mm. Being the doctor, he he went from that fantastic look where he was almost sort of Pertwee esque with his shiny Doctor Martins and the red yeah. lined cape, which mm. I thought, oh, this is fantastic! What a great look! And then they did a bit of a rejig, and he suddenly got this Californian college professor look with his hoodie. Mm. Um, he's got this sidekick Nardole, who, much as I love Matt Lucas, I I couldn't really get my head around what what he brought to the show. And then you had poor old Bill, who seemed to get ill-treated every week. And I've got a confession. I used to be so busy on Saturdays. I, I got to the phase, I, Silver Nemesis, I used to get to the same, I got to the same point three times watching that, and I fell asleep in exactly the same point. And I fell asleep, and I missed the rest of Oxygen right. when I first watched it. I never went back to it. But this time around, it was a revelation. Right. Um, superb. I, yeah. I think it's, I think that, that TARDIS crew have gone up massively in my estimation because of this story. And um, I think it's probably one of my favourite Capaldi stories. I liked it that much this time around. I think it's fantastic. Okay. I agree. To put it in context, did you just say you, your ennui lasted for much of season 10? Because for me, it was a big shot in the arm after having mm. been unsure about much of 8 and 9. And I, I thought, oh God, they finally got it right at, at last. So what a shame <laughs> this is all we're going to get. There were lots of great individual episodes and some arcs that really worked for me throughout the entire series. I thought it was mm. super. Yeah, but and it was nice to be reminded of it. Overlapping arcs. Strange though, isn't it? The the arc of the Doctor being blind overlaps with the arc of the strange alien monks. Um, mm. But what a 
What a great series that has all these things in. Yes. Mm. And the vault stuff, yes. I haven't, yeah, <laughs> the, the proverbial, I might as well, yeah. Option A, haven't seen it since transmission. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've re- revisited much of Series 10 at all, to be honest. Mm. Though I certainly had the same reaction as you, Paul, that, that after Series 8 and 9, trying my patience <laughs> to some extent, this was definitely, it just felt like, okay, this is really gelling and what a shame it's going to be. We know it's a limited you know, setup from the from the outset. I feel like I got more out of the the general setup and the Doctor Bellinardo thing. I'd forgotten that Matt Lucas was going to be like in this throughout, rather than because I tend to think of him as always popping up and being in being in a couple of scenes apart from right. him, apart from when we get to World Enough and Time when he's obviously a, a fixture. But in this, he's yeah, you know, yeah. I'd sort of forgotten what quite what the character was about, and I thought he worked he worked really well. It's quite nice that he's someone that gives Capaldi a piece of his mind instead of all being starry mm. yeah, starry eyed about about the doctor, who the doctor. But yeah, that set against the actual yeah, the story itself in this case is somewhat is a bit trite. So it, it didn't feel like yeah, as you say, it's limited and yet it seems to mostly spend its time I didn't feel like any of the supporting characters were at all well drawn or developed. And I think if you're going to do this sort of thing that relies on okay, there's a small crew, you've got to you've got to get that to you know that this variant. You've you've got to kind of get get enough interest in. And they they only kill off one of them, don't they? Obviously. Two, two. Oh, there are four kill, yeah. four left. I mean, it tries to have its it's, yeah. it's compressed, like all fifty minute stories. It's it goes through. It does its four or you know, mm. three or four act structure in a compressed form. So like mm. the first few minutes are part. One, aren't they? I suppose. Or mm. so. Yes, we get two very likable characters at the beginning and kill one of them within the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it does it almost. I mean, I like this, so I'm, it's going to sound like I'm criticising it a lot, but I'm just picking on <laughs> specific things, possibly because of the speed with which it moves. I mean, you know, it does that chip. What later became a Chibnall trope of um, making <laughs> it bring somebody in. You have yeah. to say, "Oh, I'm really looking to." to spending Christmas with my family so and so's my granddaughter or whatever yes. yes. I'm going to see my new grandson I'm going to see mm. this I'm going to do this I'm, I've finally been cured of cancer oh no I'm, I've been <laughs> horribly murdered by a monster <laughs> yeah that seemed to yeah, get that whole thing I'm ready to have a baby with you oh no mm. I'm dead but that does Stand. kind of work it does kind of work here despite uh, the moment it the moment it came the line of dialogue came up I, it kind of I got my I, I internally rolled my eyes a bit but I still thought, okay, it does make you... Yeah, somehow it works here. <laughs> it's Whereas fine. You go, oh. so, <laughs> so we lose one at the beginning. Well, anyway, it certainly sets up the mm. everything it needs to set up. Mm. But yeah. we lose one at the beginning, then it's established there are four to say, mm. potential to save. We lose one quite quickly. Yeah. Which is another sort of... supposed to be a shock. Do you know what? I, th- I thought the editing was slightly sloppy for a new series story. There's no excuse for it to be. Like, you know... Oh yeah, and then the blue I'd, I'd guy. have tied one, you know, the, the, the yeah. what, first of the final four to go when he o- opens that door and gets caught. Nowadays, editing things are really, really, really sharp, doesn't it? And it's strange to watch a program that's that recent and still—it's probably only you know a fraction of a second too long. But it's that moment when he gets got—it still felt like an eternity. Like, get out of the way! You can. There's a couple, it's obvious there's somebody on the other side reaching for you. Why am I being so picky? Well, I just want it to be perfect, that's why. Mm. And I remember mm. that the blue bloke bites the dust as well. Mm. I'm going to say something else now, which I should probably say for the end bit when we're talking about links between the stories, but um, I'll forget on, if anyway. I don't. Well, you were talking about Nardon. You had forgotten Giles' hat that he was in the whole story rather than just topping and tailing it. Mm. And it reminds me of K9 because right. um, I remember Moff talking about, about it. He had the idea for the character and invited Matt Lucas back and started mm. writing him in little scenes here and there. And they were having so much fun. I assume at the writing stage rather than the recording stage, but who knows? <laughs> um, I don't know how fast this was moving. He started writing him into whole episodes and then going back to episodes I'd already written, adding him in, seeing if there's any potential to add him in, and then reordering with the ones they'd written to try and... It, it just seems like the same thing over again, the whole mm. season 15 thing of working out on the fly. Yeah. So, 
I did not research whether Nardo was added in, but I was thinking as I was watching it, did you give him some of the Doctor and some of Bill's dialogue in this scene to split two into three? Who knows? Mm-hmm. The only thing I remembered him doing in this story is saying cuddle at the end, which mm. uh, which has stuck with me somehow. <laughs> it feels to me that this story foreshadows the world enough and time because you've got the Doctor acting quite irresponsibly. And, I mean, they, he creates a lot of the peril in the sense that, you know, they don't... They know that they're in a ship without oxygen. They could go it. They could go out there with their own oxygen supply, but he deliberately kind of, oh, it's, it'll be fine, I'll just leave the door open and, and it'll, it'll work out. And so when they get separated from the TARDIS, they're in a greater peril than they need to be. And right. it, it, you know, it feels like that's... It's exactly the same trap they fall into then in World Enough and Time when Bill gets shot because, again, he's sort of overconfident about the, the, the peril of the situation. I can't remember. Is, it, is that how it's written about the end of the series? And is that something Moffat, do you think that's something he deliberately threaded through the series or something he spotted had happened in some stories and decided to then write to it at the end of the series and pretend it was planned? Because... It reminds me of people spotting arcs like the, the overconfident Tenth Doctor, which t- later turned out not to have been <laughs> to, to, to have been in fans' heads and not actually. Well, fans. I mean, you've I mean, you've got you've got, of course, the infinite deaths of Rory. I I I, I don't yeah. you, you know which, which which never have any lasting consequence. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I guess it, I guess it must have been a theme. Were there other stories that they presaged to Bill's end? Or is this the only one? Well, it, I mean, it, it certainly stands out as being the one where she could easily have perished along the way, mm. and they they sort of uh, yes, the Doctor has to has to perform a heroic anyway, act to save her. It's really good, isn't it? So there's two halves to it: it's a horror story, and it's a satire. So the horror may it made me think of that sort of subgenre of stories where people who are writing for Stephen Moffat write something that's a bit like a Stephen Moffat story. Right. Whether deliberately to try and please him, or whether whether he's given them the ideas, where he's massaged their pitch to bring it and sort of turn it into something he would write mm. inadvertently, who knows? But um, do you know what I mean? It, it, the, the whole spacesuit thing reminded me a lot of science in the library. Mm. Yes, I mean we've had we've had walking spacesuits that have skeletons in them. We've had walking spacesuits that have nobody in them, in yeah. an impossible astronaut. Now we've got walking spacesuits with dead bodies Zomb- in them which zombies. look like zombies even though the people the yeah. zombies are dead it's a it's a sci-fi version of a zombie isn't it mm. yeah yeah i mean i mean do you know, so, like, sorry, so, like we've had dinosaurs in a spaceship this is zombies in a spaceship isn't it sorry yeah. go on mm. <laughs> no it's, it's good if that's where you i mean I, it's difficult to because there's quite a lot going on it's difficult to point at it and say well i can see what the starting point for this was you don't you're not sure if it's let's do zombies let's do techno zombies let's do zombies come up with a science fiction explanation for them it could mm. be, and it's a really good one. It's a really strong idea. A body dies, but the suit carries on walking. Brilliant. Research notes. Apparently, the original draft of this, the zombies were created by an alien power... Uh, of course. crystalline parasite. It was much less interesting. And it was much <laughs> less... In- yes, clearly it was much less interesting. And they gradually, over a couple of drafts or, you know, or outlines, evolved towards the idea that, you know, that they dropped the idea of there being the external parasites and uh, Shannon Sullivan reckons that also reports based on sources probably including complete history and things like that that Moffat actually yeah. had the eventual suggestion of of course let's make yeah. them the corpses I was, just I was propelled by automated spacesuits. I was hopeful that it was Jamie Matheson trying to channel his inner Moffat but no it's just Moffat looks at thinks this is boring this uh, alien parasite has been done a thousand times mm. before. What can I have? What can I replace it with that hasn't been done before? I know technology gone wrong. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I jest. It's a pity someone doesn't come up with the same idea of electric scooters when they run out of charge. That'd be <laughs> nice, <isn't it? laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Has anyone else seen the film Event Horizon? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that. There's a scene ago. in that where someone decides to step outside an airlock without a spacesuit on, mm. which is absolutely horrific. And this story, Oxygen, I mean, Bill has a horrendous time and Pell Mackey mm. does a fantastic job looking terrified all the time. Mm. And I thought they did that 
they did that really, really well. The, the, just the tower of knowing you've got to step outside without a functioning space helmet and a proper mm. supply of oxygen. I, th- I thought they did that really well. Yes, yeah. It's all quite well done. I mean, I think they, they wanted to... They amped up, as I understand it, during the redrafts, they, um, they amped up the the sort of terror of space mm. you know, aspects of it, and it's pretty accurate you know, to, yeah. to what to what actually happens if you would were to be exposed to a vacuum without a spacesuit, at least according yeah. to my, my understanding. I was just trying to think... No, we've had... I was just trying to think about the running order. So there's the pilot, and then there's Smile, and then there's Thin Ice and Knock Knock that are on. Yeah. Uh, that are historicals or are, are on Earth. Yeah, because Knock Knock's contemporary, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, thinking about whether this was their first time, first off Earth adventure, but they've had, they've had Smile from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, I, I've written about a third of the way in. I've only just realised that corporate zombies in suits is a satire. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I mean, they labour the point maybe uh, uh, later yeah. on. Yeah. It's definitely a, yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, on I, the nose, gang. Mm. I feel like that. I do feel like that final joke about we're fighting the the suits is probably something that occurred to them, at, you know, late in the scripting stage, and it's right. not. Because it would be insufferable if they'd thought of that joke first and written it so to justify it. <laughs> I'll let them off. I don't think they did. I don't think they did. Yeah. Giles, I mean, I like it. There's lots going. It's nicely paced. But mm. Giles put his finger on it that the what it's lacking is any real depth to the other characters. Mm. And as you say, I mean, the, the the most they try to get you interested in anybody is at the very beginning, and then they cark it immediately. So the ones that are left. I mean, they even have to paint one blue because they haven't got time to develop them. So they have to come as a real shorthand to make you interested in mm. the ones that are left. There's the two nice ones. I can't really remember ever really different. Two nice beardy ones. I can't really differentiate between them. Mm. The one who's a bit the slightly aggressive stroke paranoid woman. Mm. Well, is that, that only towards the end when the oxygen starts to fail? And he, anyway, you know what I mean? There's not. Mm. It's not a problem because. It doesn't spoil the story because what we do get works. Mm. So what am I saying? If they were better, is there room to make them more interesting, even though they only turn up half of the way through, maybe three-fifths of the way through? Well, yes, probably. Mm. I think you could... Another draft could have made, their, made them more distinctive. But mm. does it lack anything for not having that? No. And if you'd, made, if you'd given it two episodes... Because this genre, this um, mm. grimy techno-future... Yeah, hot sci-fi horror genre. A lot of them in New Who have been two-parters, haven't they? From the Impossible Planet sort of thing. Impossible yes. Planet. Yeah. That's under that, the suppose, lake. Under the yeah. lake. The re- maybe the Rebel Flesh, I suppose. The Rebel Flesh as well. Um, yeah. All that sort of thing. A lot of them. I mean, Impossible Planet is still the high watermark. The yeah. first yes, image, yeah. I think. Yeah. I remember Under the Lake feeling like a thin photocopy of that. Mm. So yes, if you stretch that out and you have had maybe four, five or six of them, you're slightly more cannon fodder and gave them more personality. Mm. I don't think, in, there's, in any sense, it would be better. It would, mm. would it? I, I think the speed with which it moves and gets, is probably to its benefit. And it's tricky. I always have mixed feelings on do, sort of Doctor Who does aliens as <laughs> a as a subgenre. Mm. I don't feel like this gets too Eight. doesn't quite get too close to this. Yeah, we can think of worse. Mm. Worse offenders on that on that front, but it, it, it tends like to it, it tends to mm. mix alien and aliens, doesn't it? it Doctor Doc Who, when mm. it does that genre, has it tries to have a cake and eat it, have a bit of horror and a bit of action. So mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was also thinking that it's quite like Sleep No More. It, you know, it's a similar setting, mm. and some of the there's there's that kind of running away from the snot monsters is <laughs> a bit like running away from the spacesuits. I mean, I guess. As we were talking about the other one, I, I got an image in my head and I thought, oh, no, 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 that isn't in the one that I've just watched, the um, Oxygen, that was in Sleep No More. But it, they both have very kind of realist or, 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 or um, yeah, I mean, they've got great effects. You, you kind of feel like you're in some mm. in space. You, you, yeah, it, you're not having to, to have that disbelief thing that you do in the with the 70s um, mm. stories. Oh, this is Charles Palmer directed it. Yes, right. one, of, one of our better, um, yeah, definitely. Human nature, family of blood, etc. Mm. 
So we've talked about the horror. So the other side is the satire. Hmm. Discuss. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got you, you've got a lot of you know you've got, you've got the Microsoft clippy joke. You've got the yeah. There's, there's, I suppose there's a lot of stuff that's that's the much more modern version of capitalism. So so if you know, whereas we were saying earlier, well, this is you know, the, the, the some makers of seventies capitalism, which was perhaps not so well. I mean, you know, it's got it's got a terrible past behind it with slavery. But in the but by the time you hit the seventies, it was it wasn't quite the the same cutthroat maybe as 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 we experience right now. But this, this is definitely the, the much more modern version of it. So what year is this? Twenty seventeen. I'm trying to remember. So is that only six years ago. I'm trying to remember exactly what the world was like then, because of course, more recently we've had what was the one? What was the Amazon Prime parody? Kablam. yeah. About mm. which is rather confused. Mm. I'm just trying to think how literally and specifically to take this. I mean, the workers have to pay for their own oxygen, right, to mm. keep them alive while they're doing the job. Mm. So that's yeah. a very specific sort of satire. That's not mm. talking about a world where a, a more general for, satire. A more obvious type would be a world where privatization's gone mad and and air is now. Mm. Yeah, mm. Uh, that's a, the sort of ben, ben Elton version. Didn't Ben Elton do yeah. that eventually? Mm. Did he? I think so. Or what was it called? I can't remember. So, uh, I mean, it's that sort of world. The early nineties yes. privatization gone mad yeah. thing that I obviously I as a naive young writer was channeling when I tried to write my much mourned Sunmakers prequel. <laughs> but it is a but, bit like that that thing with in the Sunmakers, where you know we were saying earlier, where you know the the, the issue is that the guy who, who doesn't earn very much is then being taxed by the company, and this is the same thing, I suppose, that that from the small amount of money that they make working for this corporation, yeah. they have to pay for their own oxygen. So my point mm. is, it's not set on a planet where people have to pay for. Oh look, people don't just have to pay for gas, water, and electricity; they have to pay for air now. Ha ha. Mm. That's just around the corner for us. Uh, is it talking about a world where workers have? I don't know. What is it talking about? <laughs> well, it feels <laughs> like it's talking. It's talking to... about the, the, the gig economy, really, isn't it? Right, I mean, okay. but, 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 is, but is it too early for that? I don't know. But it, there is What's that it sense. Of... me of people having to buy their own. I mean, obviously. Well, it's you know, it's like it's, sure, it's like delivery drivers, isn't it? You know, they have right. To, that's that it, sort of that's thing. It. Yeah. So mm. maybe slightly early. Yeah. Where the company essentially gives you nothing. Yeah. You, you, they give you very, no support. They mm. just let you rent their name, and there's yeah. virtually nothing else. You have to invest, whether that be a McDonald's franchise or 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 buying your own car to be a, an mm. Uber driver, or whatever. It's all the or risk they, is on you now. Or rent your, your car from the company. That's, yes, I mean yeah, that's, it's, exactly. It's kind of worse so. than it's kind of worse than bring your own. It's you have to buy theirs. Mm. Right, so that's another form of indentured servitude. Really, it is, it? yeah. So yeah. these feudal fiefdoms are still with us, but they're now under the guise of capitalism and the mm. company. Mm. I must yeah. say, I think the ending is a bit pat. The idea that these two are going to now go to company headquarters, be top yes. of the company headquarters, yeah. and foment a revolution. If this company is so malevolent that they will kill... Deliberately kill that. I mean, it's not yeah. technology gone wrong, is it? Because mm, a switch not... has been a switch has been thrown in central office that orders the technology to yes. kill these workers. They just so drop, think... a, drop below a certain productivity threshold, and yeah, they're not yeah. going to take kindly to them filing a complaint with HR, are they? The company? I don't think so. <laughs> so when Doctor <laughs> Who confidently tells Bill this is the beginning of the end, and within six months, humanity there was no more capitalism, and humanity turned into mm. a Star Trek kind of civilization. I was just expecting him to reveal that he was making that up for her, <laughs> telling her a fairy story to give her a happy ending. Yes, yeah. I so. mean, it's, there's parallel parallels with today. Again. I mean, both these stories we've reviewed, technology isn't making working life any easier. Right. Yes. And so yes. we're finding with all of us working at home as well and getting by with less yep. colleagues. It could, but it doesn't. Because yeah. it's not in the interests of the people who own the means of production. Mm. Oh dear. Well, there you go. No, but I, I, what I like about this very much, and I've already hinted at this, is that it's you can't tell which came first, the horror or the satire, and they don't. It doesn't feel like one or the other has been crowbarred in. They, they mm. blend really nicely, and it's a nice melange, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. So good stuff.
I particularly like, I mean, you were talking about Charles Palmer earlier, I particularly like that sequence where we see things from Bill's perspective. And so we don't, we don't see the whole of the transition from one, one airlock to another, which would probably be quite dull anyway. Oh, yeah. You just see her starting to pass out and then yeah. she's somewhere else. I suppose if, you, if you've ever been, had an uh, anaesthetic or whatever, it, it is that kind of experience of you mm. suddenly, you know, you're one place and then suddenly you're somewhere else and you're mm. not quite sure how you got there. It, it's very nicely done. It gives you enough that you feel like you've been through experience without having to show you a whole load of stuff that you probably wouldn't have been that excited by. Good point. The bit where they um, they're temporarily safe because they're in a new section and the yeah the baddies don't have it on their map. So and with the analogy about <laughs> Google Maps not knowing yeah. any streets mm. is, is yes. quite fun. They, you feel like they could have got more more out of that, but it's just sort of ran away for a fairly short-lived plot point. Hmm. Is that set up? Because I feel like... Do they talk about there being a new part of the ship uh, before that scene? Because when it happened, it's entirely possible I missed it because I was watching this in the bath. Um, <laughs> why is that a reason why I missed it? <laughs> uh, so so now, now, now we're seeing behind the prob- curtain. Yeah. <laughs> probably soaping myself at an important point. But I did remember thinking... Where's the soap? <laughs> That's why I was distracted. Mm. I just remember thinking, oh, you know, to the gen- uh, standard plotting, that if that had been set up earlier, that would have been a nice reveal. Yeah. Or it could have been a moment where somebody worked out. How- but it seemed to me like it- we were told what the solution to that problem was almost in the same breath as... Mm. Yeah, I don't recall there being any previous mention or like... It- it's always a difficult thing to do, placing these things without making them look bleeding obvious. No, it isn't. That's what they're being paid for. <laughs> Don't make excuses for them, Giles. Jamie Matheson would not want you to patronise him that way. Okay, fair enough. Dan okay. in Brighton, listen to this. <laughs> That's where he lives. Uh, right. He's a friend, he's a friend mm. of a friend. Uh. Isn't everybody? The sonic screwdriver gets killed. But unlike the visitation, it's not fatal. He's no, really got he's, he's got oh, dozens in the target yeah. or something. When, is, does it, is that ever referred to again? Is just have an, another one next week? Because is it just to get is it just to get it out of the way for the rest of this yeah. story? Mm. Fair enough. I think so. He should have dropped it out of an airlock. Hmm. Yeah. And the other thing was this was going to have so this is going to be a prequel to the whole business with Gus in Mummy on the Orient Express. What the? Apparently. What? Part of the. There was the, the setup that was going to be something to do with the, the AI, I think. Oh, right. Was going to become. Okay. In the future, was going to become the, the Ganymede systems. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Well, like, you can stick that back in when they. When, in the novelisation. If they novelise yeah, it, right. yes, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yes, yes. You can retcon, yeah, I like that. Mm. I mean, that's fun, but. Yeah. It's interesting how many layers there are. It's interesting that they tell that that whole that story, and it's also layered with the Nardole vault thing. And then on top of that is the ever-present this series doctor at his blackboard lecturing thing. Mm, yeah, they managed to get all that in without it feeling uh, like it's excised important stuff mm. for its own sake. It does make you wonder why Bill would ever have gone anywhere near the, the doctor again. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I suppose she. I mean, she has had other adventures by this point, I suppose. But it's just such mm. a, such a unpleasant experience all the way through yeah. for her. You'd think she'd sort of say, "Okay, well, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it's, yeah, very nice, but I'm done with that now. Mm. You, you're not very good at taking care of me," she might say. <laughs> I mean, I mean, perhaps she feels guilty by... towards him because of the blindness. Sorry, mm. go on. Apparently, it was a bit inspired by gravity as well. Like the right. Idea okay. Of, yeah. Which had been a couple of years before, so that was on the. On the agenda, and it is probably one of yeah one of Doctor Who's best best renditions of the space travel, the reality of space travel experience. I guess. Um, yeah. Did I miss a bit? I thought they were going to. I mean, we we hear a lot about the rescue ship, and mm. then at the end, it's forgotten about. Mm. Or when is they forgotten about? The Doctor says they. They know. It seems that I'm slightly mm. confused by whether there there are no rescue ships, but it. But, I mean, it would make more sense if there would never were any. But he actually specifically says there are some, but they mm. they set off before the disaster, which yeah. is a nice 
a potentially quite a nice twist. It doesn't mm. really have the impact it could have. That be thus proving that the disaster is premeditated. But that, but that, the last thing I, the implication is that they are on their way, and I was imagining that they were going to be full of gun-toting company people. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know why they would be, because they would expect everyone to be dead by the time they got there. So that that plot felt like it might have been hanging between two rewrites because we've got rescue ships coming that appear to actually be on their way even though there's no point to them but then they never do turn up in the end so mm. did i miss something well they're definitely intended to be the replacement crew um, oh is that it right okay cut yeah. that bit richard no don't no don't <laughs> he definitely said they're not they're not, they're not here to i remember rescue. now that's when i was washing my hair <laughs> 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 they don't your rescuers. They your Jamie. Patients. I couldn't even set aside fifty uninterrupted minutes to to watch your work <laughs> with my full attention. <laughs> um, it's it's been that kind of a week, hasn't it? You let me say all that when you knew what the answer was. You could have interrupted me before. No, sorry, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with it. Well, you know, and you were sort of you were sort of taking that in anyway. The replacement crew, right? Mm. Okay, got it. I understand the plot now. Yeah, but it does slightly beg the question, and I, I, I like yeah. the, I like the fact that the Doctor defeats them by, you know, the whole the whole thing, the resolution being that they, you know, they make it more expensive for them to by by linking the their life yeah. science to the to the station reactor. Yeah, if they die, they'll um, blow the thing. It's the same sort of ending as some makers, but cleverer. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. What? Where are they all mining this copper ore from? Is yes, that's that's a good question. Are I, they floating I, in space? Are there asteroids or something? Did I miss that as well? It feels like it's an asteroid, but uh, I, th- mm. I think I think it, I think it is possibly shown on one shot. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like you get context other than the you, you don't you, you don't see the mechanics of the, of the mining operation. Though. No, it's a good job I didn't have a shave as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have taken any of it. <laughs> 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 oh, and on that note. Yeah. <laughs> So that is a big similarity, isn't it? As you say, they've. I kind of. Okay, I, I can see it now. Well, of course, the sunmakers are going. The, the Usurians are going to leave the humans to. Yeah. They're just going to ditch the humans at the end. They'll move the, on. The difference is in, in oxygen, mm. the ship, the mining base is still worth something, but it's the crew that are mm. what, getting old and tired and slowing down, so they're going to replace them. Mm. To be honest, that would come across more strongly if they did look old and tired and rather mm. than young and fresh-faced. You know mm. what I mean? We're here that they've, as a part, you know, a throwaway line that they are, they've had a bad day or a bad week or something. Mm. But it doesn't seem quite enough to justify replacing them in quite such a brutal fashion. Whereas in the Sunmakers, somehow this ex- once the suns have run down, it, it would the be planet, nice if... the entire setup on that planet, yeah, organic. Mechanical and organic is worthless. It'd be nice if they shared the if they shared the spreadsheet with us because I mean basically it's hard for us to establish how that value equation works because it feels like it's going to be extraordinarily expensive to ship out another load of people to take over. Mm. You know, they'd have to be really really inefficient to be, to make it worth spending all the fuel to get another load out to be marginally more efficient, wouldn't they? So. But yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there must be a business case because otherwise they wouldn't have dispatched another load of ships. <laughs> but 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 I, you know, until I've seen the spreadsheet, I'm just yeah, a little bit I, I'm baffled by it. <laughs> this is surely one for your companion podcast. You know. <laughs> <laughs> if it's hurting, it's not working. It's not yeah, working. yeah. I mean, it's definitely hurting. There's, there's no question about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've got. I mean, the, the obvious link we've already talked about is capitalism that gets the baddies in the end and they're, they're sort of hoist on their own petard. They're both allegories and both kind of... You know, I mean, you don't really want to take the analysis too far. You, you, I think you're better off enjoying them as stories rather than trying trying to analyse the, the allegory too much. Because as you say, Paul, we've we struggled with the sun makers to work out exactly what it's about. And I, I, think, <laughs> I think with this one... You, you take the allegory too far, in, uh, as I would just was a minute ago, and you start to think, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that it bears that much um, analysis. May do, of course. I mean, I, 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 Jamie, if you're, if you're listening, um, Paul's mate's mate, um, you know, <laughs> t- 
tell me that I'm that I've I've got it all wrong and you've you carefully worked it all out. Maybe a bit Ruth's party in a couple of weeks' time. I'll see. Uh, yeah. See, <laughs> the bottom line for both of them is. Hmm. The man is not your friend. He doesn't see you as a person. He just sees yeah. you as a resource. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Right? Good. And it, but yeah, we, I, mean, it, it, I didn't so know that, so I'm delighted that these two writers have told me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both about exploitation, or mm. both of humans and of natural resources. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're not there. Neither of these things are sustainable. Basically, they're, they've strip mined Mars, and now they're strip mining Pluto in the Sunmakers. And similarly, mm. they're. There's copper coming from somewhere, but once it's once that's finished, it's <laughs> you know that operation's done and they're moving on. Mm. There's nothing sustainable about it. They are both, yeah. As I said, as I sort of said towards the start with the sunmakers, they are both eerily predictive of a certain strand of long-termist capitalist spacefaring you know, yeah. philosophy that seems to have been bubbling up in the past few years. Is the expanse like that? I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it a... either, I'm afraid. Oh, right, okay. so, um... Anyone? Oh, Simon? That was a non-starter. No. no. That was a dead end. Shake of the head. <laughs> Always good for podcasts, that. Steve Roberts, if you're out there, you like The Expanse, don't you? <laughs> More links, Richard. King of the links. I mean, for me, I think both of them are well-directed stories. I mean, you, 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 you perhaps struggle a bit more with some makers because it does look more dated. But I, but I think... F- I think the the um, as I was saying earlier, the location filming lifts it. Yeah. Mm. And again, as you were saying, that it, it feels like there's that you know that bit at the start with the, with the high window. You know, the, the, there are aspects of it that are just a bit more unusual and a bit unlike some of the other stuff that surrounds it. Even that tiny little switch to a handheld camera at the end when the mob closing on Gatherer Hade. It's only yeah. one shot. Yes. And yet he took yeah. a handheld camera with him for that. Mm. They didn't need mm. to. Yeah. So there's that nice shot on um on the. Actually, having made, having mocked the buggy earlier, the bit where they're actually driving away from the from the guards once they've got into the buggy is that's low actually quite nicely done as well. That they've got the camera on the back of the buggy. I think I, I think other people have said this before with Pennant Roberts. So you got diminishing returns from him every single time they brought him back to Who. And the thing about Nathan Turner was he would put on these big action stories when, in fact, if you gave him something thoughtful, yes. Something that was a, a story that was about something, he would find a way of making representing it visually, making it interesting. He, you could even say the same about Peter Moffat, kind of. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because you because you've got Pennant Roberts doing Warriors of the Deep, yeah, and then you and, and then you've got Kinder directed by what's his face, Peter Grimway. Yeah, exactly. Who, who's the who's the obvious guy to do an action thing for? But anyway, think, there you go. I mean, you know, for people who think that Kinder is let down by by its visuals, you know, lighting and and. Not, non-painted studio floors it wouldn't have looked any worse directed by pennant roberts but maybe no. you would have found some interest yeah exactly Not that Peter yeah. Grimway didn't but i mean mm. yeah ugh. oh well it's hard to know isn't it or graham harper could have done all of them and then they would have all <laughs> he would have we would have that fantastic mixture of, of it have kept the satire but it would have, have been dark and muscular and brutal as well yeah. and, mm. The Every problem week. is that if if, he, if if we had Graham Harper since the seventies, it'd have been completely you know bombed out by the time it came to case of Androzani, it should have been very dull. Mm. <laughs> yeah, then it would have looked like the Power of Crawl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he would yes, he would have done Power of Crawl, it would have been absolutely fantastic and Case of Androzani would yeah. be some terrible thing with a with a you know, unconvincing <laughs> dinosaur. <laughs> 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 Which where we, yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Whichever way you shuffle the pieces, you can't make every Who story a classic because there aren't enough top flight directors to go around. Mm. Almost. Well, I mean, it's alchemy, isn't it? In in the end, the the, the thing is, you, you can get a, you can get a top actors, a top director, a well read, well um, written script, and it still turns to ashes just because for some reason it it doesn't all gel, and then you can get. Something that that looks pretty unpromising. That for some reason everything comes together, and 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 and, and, and people love it. So it's it's yeah, it's just difficult to explain really why why we love some and well, we hate others. Well, this has been a successful week. We liked both of them, didn't we? Really? So yeah, it's got to yeah. be. You yeah. know, superficially very different, thematically, cousins, twins, joined at the soul. More, more, more like this. Giles, did you think of this one? 
I did, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. And there's me thinking we must be running dry on the good links, but no, <laughs> it was it was in um, an idle moment at the bar, wasn't it? In the riverside. It was indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well played, Giles. Two excellent choices. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, roll the dice for next time. Any any final thoughts, Simon? No, I'm well. I'm doubly delighted with Oxygen because I'm going to revisit Series Ten again. Yay! Right. Mm. So, In order. Uh, yeah. Why not? Do you remember the strange overlapping <laughs> trilogies of the the Doctor Goes Blind and the Strange Alien Monks? Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's the strange things that ever happened in Doctor Who. <laughs> it kind of. Sort of makes a four-part linked series, yeah. but it doesn't. <laughs> it's um, yeah, I love it. How random! Mm. Moffat just mm. throwing everything he's got left at it. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to see his play on on Saturday. That's exciting. Oh yeah. Oh, are yeah. you? Okay. Nice. I don't know why. Probably should have said that until I had seen it. Then I could have actually said something well, tangible well, rather than just leaving an air of do expectation. That, do that next time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to say the end bit, and then we'll be, be finished. So say the end bit, Richard. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to something. Who? Thank. It, yeah, if you've enjoyed what we've done, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. I mean, I, we presume it makes a difference. We don't know. I mean, it, this may just be something that the man tells us to do. Um, there's a whole <laughs> raft of other episodes for you to listen to while you're waiting for the next one to land. So yeah, we've we've got a big. A big back catalogue now. There's bound to be something else. If you've in, if you've enjoyed this one, and we we have to assume that you probably have it if you've got to this stage, because if you didn't enjoy it, you'd have switched it off by now, wouldn't you? So yeah, there's a whole there's a whole raft of other stuff you could listen to while you're waiting for the next one to land. If you do like something, who please tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbours, and that bloke you're on nodding acquaintance with on the on the train. Uh, and if you hate us, please don't tell a soul. <laughs> uh, and, and and why are you still listening? <laughs> anyway, thanks, thanks, Paul, thanks, Giles, and thanks, Simon, for your company this evening. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. No, thank you. Yeah, and and thanks, listeners, and we we uh, hope to be in your company again sometime soon. Bye. Bye. Cheers, everyone. I mean, I mean, it obviously still isn't there, but I've almost got an end pattern now together. It was good. <laughs> give, 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 give it yes. tired. It was yeah. full of energy. You came back to life with that. You must have been very pleased with it. Give, give, it, three, give it three or four more iterations and we might be there. Yeah. <laughs> the contrast with your usual rubbish, the way you just fade away. <laughs> Here's a clip from my other podcast. Hello and welcome to If It's Hurting, It's Not Working, our podcast all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job. We're back with an episode all about making changes and moving on and welcome to our new co-host Nicola. Somebody said to me a while ago, somebody I trust probably about three or four years ago now, had I interviewed for a job recently and this was one of my directors, so not my line manager, their boss. Mm. Instead of you interviewed for a job recently, I said, no, no, like panicked thinking, God, what what have they heard? (laughs) What have they seen on LinkedIn? Am I in trouble? And they said, well, you should. You should interview for a job every year. You should apply for a job in your field or a job you want to go for and get yourself an interview, do the interview and learn from it every year because it gets you in a position where you understand what the market are looking for. And also whether you're ready to take that next step in your career, like which bits are you missing from the interview, which questions were horrendous that you couldn't answer, which bits were you comfortable with and using it as a learning experience. Now, every recruiting manager who's listening to this is probably like, no, don't say that. I don't want just a load of random people coming for interviews for a bit of coaching and self growth. Mm. You know, I actually want them to be applying for my job. But I have to say it, it really helped me in terms of interview technique, understanding what I wanted to do what field I want to go into, what sector I wanted to work in, which businesses I like the look of and which I didn't, 
And I think that's probably one of the best bits of advice I've been I've been given in terms of looking to the future and, and potentially moving on hmm. and getting that confidence in yourself to look, I think, is is the key thing. Do you find yourself reluctant to tell people where you went to university? Yes. Yeah, I see this a lot with friends who've who've been to certain universities now. They they feel very reluctant to answer the question, which I think is a real shame because you should be really honoured, <laughs> not honoured, really proud of where you went. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and what you've done. I mean, there's definitely a thing, right? Because if you are a white male middle-aged middle-class kind of yeah oxbridge educated you know there's a sense in which people say well you know you're from a you're from a privileged background why are you where you know or or that's that's the only reason you've got to where you are and i I mean i can tell a different story I, i can say that i am the son of parents who didn't go to university i'm two generations removed from minors and yeah, I mean, you know, and I come from, from the north of England. So yeah, I mean, I guess the, you can tell different stories depending upon which parts you leave in and leave out. And the truth of the matter is, I'm both of those things. Yeah, I'm both, absolutely. I'm, I'm both the boy who went to a fee-paying grammar school and to Churchill College, Cambridge. And I'm also the grandson of, you know, someone who really struggled through the general strike. And, mm. you know, all of those experiences make up who you are. Absolutely. I don't have anything else to say now. We've just mic dropped. (laughs) (laughs) So does John Pertwee like, does anyone want to also play the role of bot? Who's who's, who's John Pertwee? (laughs) Are you doctor, by any chance? Because on the lines you haven't changed to Richard. There aren't any lines. Oh, yes. Okay. There are. There's thousands of you. (laughs) <laughs> okay you admitted i've got you on tape saying that you did this in a hurry and now you're trying to make out how could i possibly have made any mistakes it's outrageous um i i don't know were, were all of you satisfied with your performances it you know it just it, it, it sounded like it was as good as it merited um, <laughs> podcast yeah. Podcast. It's it's um it's the old podcast podcast. You say tomato, I say yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah.